0: Welcome to the Food Manufacture Podcast and this week we'll be talking about uplifting products and how to be clever with ingredients and marketing. I'm Bethan Grills, and as always I'm joined by my co-host Gwen Ridler.
1: It's always wonderful to be here.
0: Oh thanks Gwen and we've got our new co-host Will Dodds as well who joined the team one month ago. Hello Will.
2: Hi everyone, hello to the listeners, lovely to be here.
0: Oh, such a cheerful team. (laughs) Well, as a new face or or voice rather to the brand, I thought it might be nice, but basically for me, because I don't get to be put on the spot to start this podcast with a bit of a get to know you quiz. And I thought it's only fair that Gwen, you also partake as editor i have um a, a just natural exemption from this so i've got a quick fire q a and i don't want any ums or ars. i just want quick fire answers so will we'll come to you and then gwen will come to you right are you ready
2: uh, i guess so yeah mr terrified <laughs>
0: right will what's your favorite food
2: uh mushrooms
0: mushrooms that's your favorite food yeah my
2: mind went completely blank uh i ta- actually have to say pasta
1: but mushrooms i like mushrooms with pasta there you go
0: mushroom pasta yeah, right mushroom okay, pasta. okay okay gwen pizza pizza, pizza. mushroom just
1: pizza? Just pizza just pizza you can put anything on a pizza and it will incidentally make it better than the thing that it was before cucumber it will go on a pizza
0: what <laughs> there you have it but don't nick our ideas if you're listening right Will do you have any pets no if you could have a pet what pet would you have cat good answer he knows me well Gwen
1: Uh, no but um, animal small fluffy thing would be nice to have
0: okay cool what
1: about rat I I used to have rats when I was a kid
0: there you go they're very
1: very lovable creatures
0: they are they're really clever yes they've got very cool tails they're like newspapers it's got the same texture
1: I honestly haven't got around struggling enough newspapers to really <laughs> compare it to a rat's <laughs> tail, but I'll take your word for it.
0: Well, you know my answer to this one. What do you like to do in your spare time?
2: Uh, so, I was going to say I like to play sport, like basketball, playing cricket, and then just uh, going to gigs, seeing bands, that kind of thing. Video games.
1: <laughs> That's very loud. Wow.
0: We're not near a racetrack, don't worry. Right, let's carry on. Okay, next question. This is a difficult one, I think. Yeah. What is your best random fact?
1: Uh so mine's a two for uh two for one. So, uh part one of this, all otters have a um special stone that's um that they keep for themselves and is unique. Uh the other part of that is also that sea otters specifically have um pouches, little pockets in th- their fur. Uh, that allows them to keep their special stone in them all times.
0: That is so cute. That is the cutest fact. Why do they keep a special stone? It's like jewellery. Because
1: otters uh, are the only other animal uh, outside of, say, monkeys and chimpanzees that use tools.
0: Wow. That's really cool. There's free
1: facts for you. If you want to know more (laughs) otter facts, I have a calendar full of them (laughs) at home.
0: Right. Will, you're under pressure.
1: Okay.
2: uh, So I went to a taxidermy museum this weekend. And a lot of Victorian taxidermy looks fake because they didn't know what the exact colour was, so they painted it on. So even though the the animal and the outside of the animal is real, uh-huh. it looks fake because their paints weren't very uh, able to actually capture the colour. So for example, we saw a hippo, which looked completely fake, but it was real. It was just painted badly.
0: What, what colour had they painted it?
2: They'd painted it black but it had it just didn't look like an image of a hi- of a hippo because mm. they didn't have very access to very good paints
0: and you're a vegetarian and you went to a taxidermy museum it was raining okay all right then right moving on if you can have one superpower what would it be will
2: uh it would be for it never to rain so i never have to go back to the taxidermy museum.
0: <laughs> gwen what would be yours
1: uh, teleportation
0: that would be mine
1: never be late and never have to be queuing for things ever.
0: There's Just... such a good, good power. Um, I once was asked this question and I accident I don't know why, I accidentally answered transportation rather than teleportation. <laughs> uh, my other half was like, what, you turn into a train? <laughs> I was like, what? No, no. And I was like, oh, that's not what I meant. Okay, final one. Um, what is your go-to karaoke song, Will?
2: Well, I've got lots, but I'd have to say Take Me Home Country
1: Roads by Excellent. John Denver
0: excellent choice Gwen
1: Poison by Alice Cooper
0: what's that one
1: I'm not gonna sing it right now (laughs)
0: 1989
1: (laughs) phenomenal hit from Alice Cooper
0: I think I might know it actually I might know know it
1: it's uh, it's a song all about loving someone so bad that you'll go through any pain to have them even if it's bad for you and we had it played during my wedding
0: oh lovely (laughs) Uh, what's a country what was the other one country take me home country road what's that one
2: yeah about uh, it's about the beauty of uh, West Virginia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love this. And Mountain Mamas. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for playing the Get to Know You quiz and humouring me. Now uh, that our listeners know a bit more about you, uh, shall we get on with the actual podcast? Gwen, over to you with Good Month, Bad Month.
1: Good Month, Bad Month. Coming live from Food Manufacture Towers. Um, so this month, will uh, the, these... Both sort of play, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. So for our good month, I decided to go with um, Nestle developing sugar reduction technology. So for those not in the know, they've developed an enzymatic process that can reduce uh, the sugar content in malt, milk and fruit juice by up to 30%. They've been developing this sort of thing for the last couple of years now. And they say that it, they say it has hardly any impact on the taste and texture And it has no requirement for additional sweeteners or bulking agents. Um, Now, this is coming at a time when, uh, especially we reported this month, that sugar prices are up 40% and are expected to increase further. So, yes, sugar prices are going up. uh, And we all know that reformulation is the name of the game at the moment in the face of new childhood obesity laws, uh, limiting promotion of high-fat and salt sugar foods. And um, whilst not enforce challenges from the government for manufacturers to cut the sugar in their products by 20 percent and also the sugar levy on drinks um, being the most prominent of all of these at the moment. So it's you know they're coming along with this uh, new technology that would help these that could potentially be either directly help manufacturers or at least inspire them to pursue similar technological developments that can to say skirt around these laws would be disingenuous, but to be able to still produce products at the same time um, without feeling that they're being limited because they can't, you know, well, it, for one, it, sh- it would help to reduce things like shrinkflation, for example. You know, an easy way to reduce the amount of sugar in your product is to make a smaller product at the end of the day. Um, you can make a same size product just but, but with the ingredients that use less sugar in general. So I think, all in all, I think that's a, a good a positive development for the industry. Uh, it's a good... You know, once you see a larger player, hopefully that would inspire smaller players to then follow suit.
0: Okay, great. Well, I am I feel in a better mood already. What's uh, what's going to put me in a bad mood?
1: Well, it depends how much you make um, sugary soft drinks, really. But it's the negative press around the Spartan that we've seen this month. So on the flip side... Your other way of reducing sugar in your drinks is obviously to use um, sweetness. And the aspartame came under a lot of fire because there was some talk but, uh, around um, the World Health Organization that they were possibly going to label um, aspartame as potentially cancer-causing within humans. Now, that hasn't come to pass. They've decided not to act on that. But it created a lot of negative press around Aspartame. Um, there has been negative press before, but it really brought it into the spotlight that the World Health Organization, some one of the biggest sort of bodies for health uh, in the entire world, is saying these sort of comments and it really starts painting a really negative picture, especially at a time where... As previously mentioned, reformulation and reducing sugar has been so important for manufacturers at the moment. For them to have one of these ingredients that has been enabling them to reformulate and to reduce their sugar, to then be told, or potentially you can't use that anymore, um, it's, it's sort of giving this double this sort of double negative where. You can't reduce your sugar because you can't use this ingredient, but you can't have it full of sugar because then you get heavily taxed and boycotted by people because they don't want sugary foods. So it's really created a really negative situation altogether, which ultimately probably could have been handled a lot better for the industry.
0: Okay, and, and Will, you write a, an article on this topic. I know that you spoke to quite a few people in the beverage sector and a few analysts as well about how this might affect um, the, the drinks market, predominantly diet drinks, isn't it, that we, we see this um, additive in?
2: Yes, yeah, so a lot of uh, uh, diet soft drinks on the market currently use aspartame as a sweetener, uh, as it is very good at replacing sugar despite having zero calories. So um, as Gwen referenced, uh, IARC has placed it in a new category, saying that it's potentially carcinogenic, however, the, the WHO... Uh, has not actually changed its advice on the uh, the advisable daily intake of aspartame. So I've been speaking to a lot of uh, people within the industry about it. And at the moment, the thought is that there's not going to be reformulation as a result of this uh, ruling by IARC, which is the kind of cancer wing of the WHO, but only deals with hazard rather than risk. So it's one to keep an eye on. Uh, I've got uh, an article out about it at the moment uh, going into a lot looking at people on both sides of the argument.
0: Good. So there you go. There's an excuse to get on the website and have a read of that. Thank you, guys. And hopefully, you're all sufficiently warmed up for our main event. So, as of this month's episode, uh, we are talking about uplifting products. And we went and visited sourcing and supplier of the sweet treats, Henley Bridge, to hear about how you can affordably and cleverly uplift products with toppings and flavours. So, here's Samantha Rain, development chef, and Tracy Hughes, managing director for you. We're in Henley Bridge in Lewis, and I'm joined by both Tracy Hughes, the managing director, and Samantha Rain, the development chef, to talk about uplifting products. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so, as I said, we're talking about uplifting products, and uh, by that we mean, you know, you, you've got a cake, and maybe um, for, for Halloween, how can you spruce it up and make it look a bit a bit scary? And um, so, in, in what ways can you easily uplift a product for calendar events like like halloween or you know coronation which we've we've just had or or christmas
3: i think there's a lot of products out there we certainly have a lot of different decor products easy to use um you can take them straight from the box add them onto your piece and it, it really sort of uplifts it there's also a number of different ways where you could like change the color of the sauces to suit the sort of seasonal event and and little bits like that
0: Is there any sort of things you have to be aware of when you change, you know, recipes or or certain things? Like what kind of safety uh, um, aspects you have to be aware of?
3: I mean, I guess obviously we always have to bear in mind the different dietary requirements. So anything that you are changing could have a knock-on effect um, for for the entire dish. If we're talking about sort of adding decor, obviously that's not so much of an issue, obviously, but we will have to bear in mind the different type of chocolate that we use colorings in particular some people may not th- may not realize but a lot of them are vegan friendly but there are some that are not vegan friendly so that is something that people need to bear in mind um, when we're looking at sort of colorings and things obviously we have e171 which obviously is banned now um, in europe um, it's not currently banned in the uk but obviously it is something that the uk is slowly sort of getting on board with um, and we can't import it as well so That's gone, so like gold, silver and bronze as we know it has sort of changed colour very, very slightly. But I mean, they're all nice little finishes that we can have, but it is something that we do have to bear in mind.
2: What kind of challenges uh, do producers face when it comes to these seasonal events, trying to uplift products, thinking about things like the cost of living crisis and and finding value when you're trying to change products, not lift it, but also making sure that kind of works financially for the business?
4: I think seasonality for any manufacturer is quite difficult because it's a short period of time if you've got a shelf life on the product. So that can be quite challenging, I think, for us as well. You know, for our end users, it's the time that they're planning. Their execution of, say, Christmas can be like 8, 10 months in advance. So it's actually for us getting visibility of those products into the business, making the relevant staff aware so we can present those to end users. It's also understanding the trends that the end users are looking at. You know, there is a lot of focus on cost. Obviously, the cost to import now is a lot higher than what it was previously. So, there's a lot that you do need to factor in, and obviously, making sure that ourselves and our customers can maintain margin. But I think what we have definitely seen in the last eight months is a switch for MPD. So, during COVID and coming out of COVID, there was no focus on MPD at all or innovation, but that has definitely changed. So, people are focusing on how they can innovate their dishes or their pieces so they can increase their, their average price. I think, you know, in hospitality in particular, what we've seen is a downtrend of what's on the menu. So chefs are looking for bespoke products that can help elevate their dishes and take the cost per portion up with justification that the product looks elevated. But I think the manufacturers are you know facing quite difficult challenges with cost for electricity. Resource and labour is really difficult in every country at the moment. So I think there are challenges that we're all still facing in the current market.
0: But I, I mean, I suppose uplifting products, so saying having the same kind of I use the example of, of like a Halloween muffin at the, the start. You could you could transform that quite easily. Yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> so no, you no, not. She's can. a chef, so she knows. <laughs> and you could transform it quite easily for something like Christmas. I
3: imagine yeah exactly so there are there are ways that you could easily change your existing menu so sometimes it's not always that you need to add additional dishes onto the menu you can take your muffin and change the decor up so you can change it for, for Halloween and change it for Christmas you could change the flavor profile slightly by changing some of the inclusions or some of the flavor paste to easily adapt to that line so you're still essentially making the same product but just changing it ever so slightly so you are hitting that seasonal event.
0: Well, I know you're going to pick up on the, the challenges in a moment and talk about mitigating them, but if I may try to, you also said about people planning, you know, way in advance and, you know, they're going to be making their Yule logs now um, as everyone else is sort of sunning themselves. I mean, we can say it's really hot in the, in the place that we are at now. You know, and it, it's funny to think that, people will start to be making their Christmas goods. How do you know what kind of trends, though, that's going to be popular, say, six months down the line?
4: I think it is using some of the market research information that we use. Obviously, we've got major manufacturers that provide us with trend reports as well. But it's keeping close to your customers, definitely. So I think like I already know after being out with customers earlier this year that our ice cream customers and manufacturers will probably be making the recipes for next season at the end of this season, going into autumn, winter. So it's just making sure that you are close to the information that's available in the market, but also understanding what your customers are looking for. Because if you're not in touch with your customers, you can be producing information or publications that may not be relevant. And it's making sure that as a business, we start to provide them more relevant information of what businesses need. Um, And that is on trend, cost, cost engineering, definitely. So, you know, I think that's for us quite important, even more so this year.
0: We'll come back to the, the uh, talking about what kind of trends we're, we're seeing in it in a moment. So, will because I interrupted you there. So, I'll let you continue the the challenge um, chat, and then we can start talking about what kind of ingredients topics we're seeing. Um, my stomach's already rumbling, so and we've got cakes in front of us, and I haven't <laughs> eaten one yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm just going to pick up on something that Tracy mentioned about you know rising energy costs, staffing costs as well. How are you adapting as a business to kind of uh, mitigate these These challenges
4: really? I think last year was exceptionally challenging. The price increases with inflation and raw materials with every supplier was uncontrollable at times. So it was overwhelming, not only for us as a business, but trying to pass those increases on onto our customers and some of the food service groups, you know, it was very difficult. But what we have seen is a slight decline now. So we have seen stabilisation and we've seen some decline in prices. So We've made a conscious decision as a business to start passing those cost reductions back. We've also recognized as a business that we probably need to become more aggressive, which isn't normally our position in the marketplace. You know, We're not the cheapest because we don't have cheap products, but we do need to be competitive, and we are competitive, but I think we can become more competitive with identifying what we need to do as a business which is potentially taking a slight hit on some of our margins so we can pass promotions and discounts and also, price deductions back to our customers. We've started to do that in the last month, and the reception that we've had back from our customers has been really positive because we were probably one of the first to go in the industries that we operate in. I think also, like being able to offer price reduction back on key ingredients on ice cream products just at the start of the season for ice cream manufacturers and dessert parlours, you know, that was really positively received because. This year, everyone needs to make as much margin as they can to stabilise their businesses as well. I think with staffing, that position is in de- is incredibly difficult. Um, definitely in this area, we don't see it in some of the other areas within the group that we operate within, but definitely in this area, it's you know the, the recruitment, po- the, the opportunity for talent is really really tough. So it's a Difficult position as an employer to attract really good talent, um, which is what we want to do to ensure the stability of our business.
0: So, we'll, we'll come back to the, the trends. Uh, I mean, we've obviously talked about, as you said, people prepping now and, and, and using kind of um, industry know how, the trends reports to, to dictate what's going to be popular. So can you give us any indication on what kinds of trends that you, you are seeing in you know things like um, ingredients toppers and, and flavors? And I'm guessing that they do um, vary depending on what the event is. So, um, you know, you always get strawberry stuff. Um, I always get emails about it's Wimbledon, strawberries. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, you see that an awful lot. I mean, for example, um, touching back on what Tracy said, we've already done Christmas twice oh my this year. So obviously we had Christmas um, and then literally a month and a half ago we done a Christmas photo shoot so obviously we do um the magic of Christmas magazine um, so it's just to give some of our customers sort of some knowledge and some insight into new products that we're launching there's a lot of tip there'll be there's always a lot of tips in there about um, you know different recipes that you can make and how you can sort of cost save if you like so obviously one of the things that we really wanted to focus on this year was sort of helping people to understand some of the products that are available so that they can freeze some of their products so actually you're you're reducing wastage as well so although yes some of the you know products and ingredients have risen but we have ways that we can help you make them free stable we can you know help you keep them that bit longer and so you're just reducing wastage that little bit more so it's just little things like that that actually can really help in the long run
0: and then, in terms of those sort of the flavours, or you know, I don't, I don't know. We we saw it was like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I'm, honestly, the, the listeners are gonna think I'm absolutely obsessed with Willy Wonka because we mentioned no. it the the last episode. <laughs> it wasn't me, um, but you know, we we saw um, amazing like chocolate and um, flower pots. You know, flakes, honey, all sorts yeah. in, the, in the factory. So, what um what would you say is doing really well right now, but you, you sort of see um, a rise in popularity that, that people want with um, their, you know, to offer products.
4: I think some of, the, some of the relatively new products that we've brought in, the flower pots is a really good example. Um, so that went absolutely bonkers, especially in garden centre groups. And that was creating <laughs> a dessert as easy as you could to keep the cost proportion actually it looked amazing and for a restaurant or a cafe within a garden center group that gives a really good proposition and it's attractive to the eye i think for us going back to one of the points you raised earlier so what we have just done actually is we just surveyed our customer base on all of our marketing activity so it was interesting what you said about trends so as a business we try and do everything but actually we don't need to do anything Everything, because the customers actually only really want us to focus on six seasonal activities. So we've been trying to cover every base, Wimbledon being one of them. Mm. But actually what businesses don't want to hear at the moment is about beautiful desserts or potentially cocktails for Wimbledon. If we can give them information on cost saving, cost engineering or on a trend or on a flavor profile, it's more relevant to them. So I think you know what we have seen is an uplift on the value added products which is where establishments can take a product and increase the price of that product by £2.50 by just elevating it or changing the colour of the product. So I think there's definitely, in the different sectors we operate, there's indulgence,
0: Mm.
4: and people are certainly prepared to pay for indulgence, but that's limited. But then there's the fun element of it. So, you know, it's creating that fun and the passion with a product that, know makes our customers feel proud of what they're producing if that makes sense
5: yeah yeah
2: absolutely yes i suppose the the next question we were going to look at was how you choose your events i suppose you you kind of start to to kind of allude allude to the fact that actually you're looking at it how can we bring that value but also that kind of level of indulgence and fun and quality um at the same time so sam from your perspective, how do you kind of like marry those those things together that kind of like thinking from the business perspective, but then also producing these like products that people really want and customers really want?
3: want? Yeah, so I think I mean, obviously, so I um, speak to customers all the time, um, whether it's going out on demonstrations and actually first hand speaking to them. Sometimes I have customers call in and actually just want a bit of almost like a sounding board. Someone just to say sort of, yeah, that sounds like a really nice idea, you know, sort of and to sort of bat around the ideas. So a lot of the time when I'm working, it's, okay, well, what have I been asked? What do I know people want from me? Um, Yes, okay, I know I'm working towards uh, Christmas or I'm doing Halloween products. But actually, if I'm in a kitchen, what do I want? How do I, I don't want to obviously spend a huge amount of money because I need to bear in mind, obviously, overall costs, but at the same time. I want to make this a really beautiful Halloween muffin, or <laughs> a yule log, or you know something along those lines. How can I just take it to that next step, but actually watching my cost? So it's it's always something that I always have to bear in mind, like what my what the customers have been asking me.
0: So on that point, let's take the Halloween muffin. Right?
3: <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to make you this Halloween muffin. I'm, now. <laughs> I'm
0: trying to get it in there. You've you, you got the vice. I'm, I'm expecting a Halloween muffin in in the post because we, you know, we walked around the warehouse and I know you can pack them carefully. <laughs> so in in terms of this this um this Halloween muffin, um you know there is loads of of products on the shelves, and um, mm. you know you you you'll see themed um seasonal goods how can you as a producer stand out from the crowd can you do that by you know with with the ingredients that you're using by uplifting
3: we can we've we've got an incredible um incredible ingredients portfolio we for example um going back to your halloween muffin specifically
0: yes um
3: (laughs) so why don't we make it black but I'm not I'm not gonna add black food colour in. I'm gonna simply change the cocoa powder that I use. So we have a, a black cocoa powder and it really does end up black. So perfect for a for a Halloween product as an example. Then we've got some little funky ghosts that we can add on top to you know keep the vibe. We've got sort of all different there's there's lots and lots of different options that we can have. So it's not always you know, you're very limited. These this, we can only all make. An ice cream with a ghost on top we don't we have lots and lots of different options that actually we can cater to everybody and all of their needs so it could be something as easy as changing the cocoa powder in a recipe so you get a really really black and eerie looking muffin um or you can go with sort of decor to place on top so there's lots of different options for everyone
2: I suppose just having that like range of different ingredients just helps you with any product.
3: Exactly. So we really can sort of target everybody. There's there's lots of different options for everyone. You know, no one is no one is excluded. We we target sort of cafes and sort of we've got bakeries, ice cream parlors. Um, obviously a lot of chefs use a lot of our ingredients as well. So there's lots and lots of different options for everyone.
0: Amazing. Just a, a fun question, really, to, to conclude. What is your favourite event to, to create for and why? My-
3: oh, <laughs> that, is, that is a really hard question. Um, we had a lot of fun doing the Jubilee last year, didn't we? We yeah. had, like, a set-up outside, and we had, like, street party sort of vibes. That was really cool to work on. Um, I think, for me personally, Christmas is, is always going to be one of my favourites. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. Well, why is that?
3: It's just so cozy and you've got <laughs> such like warming flavors, you know, Christmas makes everybody happy. It's such a happy time of the year and I think you can really get creative and have a lot of fun at Christmas because that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's why. What
0: about you,
4: Tracy? I um, I would say the Jubilee was quite special. Mm. Um and then obviously in hindsight with them what happened you know Mm -hmm. to the queen i think um we were that was quite a proud moment for us um so we produced like jubilee coins as well which that was an idea that i had when i was at school i remember like the silver jubilee and so we were all given a silver coin and sam and i had that conversation and then we recreated that so it was quite special i think and then obviously with the coronation we just again you know we, we really went over and above what we had to do because it's about instilling that proudness within within the business really i think going back to events the luxury that we have and i think we are recognized for it is because of the products we have we can create theater and that attracts people no matter where we go we attract people onto the stand or at an event that we're doing because people are generally excited about newness and what, what you can do and create with a product and you know having Sam, you know, our business development chef is really important because we can then convey that from chef to chef, which you know, in any industry. So, yeah, I think generally, you know, if we have a free chocolate day on site, everyone gets a bit excited. (laughs)
2: And I suppose the thing about the coronation or the jubilee is the fact that that's not something that you get every year, so you can really create something that's got that lasting impact, like you said about the coin. Whereas, whereas Christmas, as, as, as great an event obviously is, is something that, that doesn't come around, um, that comes around every year. So Yeah,
4: no you are right I mean they were very, those were two very poignant moments you know and I think all of us you know were, were proud of what we achieved and then a lot of hard work went into it and actually what it did was it instilled what was going on outside in your work outside of your work life as well so we were all having street parties and you know, it was relevant to what was going on throughout the country. And it's making sure what we do do, and we need to do more of that, is make sure it's relevant of what's currently going on, you know, in the country with times. And that's why being aware of cost inflation, passing back, reducing our delivery charges, everything like that's really relevant because it's about helping our customers succeed. And that's one of our biggest models. So it's not just through product, it's through our service and the customer experience that we provide so yeah it's like uh, all round
0: that's a very heartwarming way to to conclude this this interview um sam tracy thank you so much for for joining us today Thank thank you that was samantha rain and tracy Hughes of henley bridge And I'd like to inform the listeners that I've not yet received a pumpkin muffin, um, but I wait in anticipation. Um, In the meantime, you can enjoy our next guest interview. Will, you did this one. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
2: Yes. So I spoke to Rose Miller uh, of The Copy Kitchen. Uh, She's a very interesting copywriter who primarily looks at helping food brands and drink brands create an identity and a voice in their branding. Uh, She talks a lot about uh, how she does this in a way that comes across as genuine and is really in keeping with the entirety of the brand. And it goes beyond just creating a logo and a font. So she had some really interesting insight and uses some great examples, I think, of brands that are doing a really good job of doing this.
0: Okay, great, let's have a listen.
2: thank you for being on the Food Manufacture podcast.
5: Oh thanks so much, I am happy to be here.
2: Just to start off with, you have a a background in content and copywriting and you founded the Copy Kitchen a year and a half ago, so tell us a bit more about what brought you to this point in your career.
5: I started off working as a writer in the theatre world, so I was doing comedy writing and acting and singing and um, all of that fun stuff Um, and whilst I was working on a comedy show and um, I started doing sort of the freelance copywriting side hustle type stuff I didn't even know it was actually copywriting what I was doing I was just sort of creating content for companies that I connected with and um, and things started snowballing and then in the pandemic the acting stuff and theatre world were world of work sort of shut down and my copywriting work um, started pumping up so the main things that I work on are brand strategy which is a very high level word. But basically what that means is um, working out who you are as a company and um, sort of w- how you want to communicate um, through your messaging. Um, and, and we can talk a bit more about that um, as we get into things, and if you want. But yeah, it's sort of, sort of the the who, not the, the what. Um, then video scripting. So video marketing is obviously like a huge part of well, any industry but spe- specifically food and drink like that you you get hungry seeing so food video like that's what you need as a food company so do a lot of video scripting um and then content so anything that needs to be replenished every month like newsletters email um social media captions um, and then the fourth one is podcasting
2: yeah, absolutely um and as i said at the start we we're kind of looking at uplifting products and how brands can stick out from the crowd and you know market what they're producing in a way that is noticeable and isn't just the same old thing so tell us a way that you kind of help companies do that
5: yeah so i think the, the the biggest thing for me is um brand messaging so we you know to to be really kind of high level about this like what does that actually mean is we know what brand logos and visuals are and what what how important they are Brand messaging is something that often kind of falls by the wayside. And so I, I there's a question that I'll kind of use to, to exemplify what I'm trying to say is, if you took away all of the brand visuals, would your customers still know it's you? So do you have a brand voice that's so unequivocally you that there's no mistaking it, like a logo, right? Um, and I think it's, it's often sort of we know that tone of voice is important. We know that, um, you know, that's like a tick box thing in marketing. You've got to have a tone of voice. But I think where businesses often fall short um, in this industry and, and uh, I mean, in others too, um, is working from the top, like superficially creating a tone of voice, but not actually having it rooted in anything. So what I mean by that is I I use this, this framework in my own work called main character marketing. And really it's just... It's creating a personality or a brand identity for your company where the tone of voice is the byproduct of that. It's like if you have a strong character foundation to your company, then there will be a voice. And I go back to my my days as a theatre writer, and this is obviously main character marketing, is if you're writing a script and you're just writing the words that a character says, but you don't have any idea as a writer who that character is, no, your, your audience aren't going to connect with it. And so it's the same thing with marketing is your audience or your customers aren't going to connect with a voice that has no sort of depth to it. Um, and I think it's a tricky one because it's the, the answer to that is you've got to do like the deeper work in the company as to, to who you are, what you stand for um, and like what your mission is. It's it's a bit more kind of sticky than like the stuff that we tend to think is is going to work like. Google ads and blah 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 which obviously that there is of course a place for all of that but the the stickier work is the stuff that really makes a difference of turning up with a purpose and a mission and one thing I talk about a lot is humanizing your brand so um innocent do this really well um and like this comes back to what I've said is like creating a personality is is humanizing your brand that's another way of putting it putting a face to the to the name not a literal face but like a brand face you know and to that example innocent which is um, I talked about this on linkedin they do this really well by using the instead of putting no added sugar they use the term we never add sugar and it's such a simple thing but the the reason i use it as an example is cuz humanizing your business by doing your is they're using the active voice versus the passive voice and the we is so powerful there because it's like we're here behind the words we're here with a like a a kind of statement like we don't add sugar like it's a personality behind it and i think it's really powerful and i'll just give you one other example In Heinz, do this um really cool cool kind of um ad that i saw on the tube the other day um where they they Take a uh, in their um, there's an advert, it's not on the packaging, but in the advert, um, they say, Oh, what? So there's three tins of Heinz uh, pasta sauces, and they're like, One of these is an award winning pasta sauce, we can't remember which one. So simple. But the reason I think that it really lands is because it's based the underlying message in that advert is saying we make mistakes. We're only human. We can't actually remember. It's an authenticness. And there's a person behind that ad. And I think that's what really stands, uh, makes brands stand apart.
2: Uh, I'm really glad you brought up those two examples because I, I saw those. And I think on both, both occasions you explained really well why you get that feeling when you look at it that makes it work. And I suppose the question I was going to ask was about that kind of uh, that secret source, that thing. But I think when you're talking there about it being genuine, you think it's really important that companies before they kind of go into creating this voice and uh, they need to really understand what their brand is, what they want to be. And then all this stuff can kind of like trickle down from that.
5: Yeah, it's 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 so fundamental. And like I talk i i go back to the, the idea of main character marketing and that's how you write a, a good script um and i know that it's a funny analogy but a netflix show like that cult mentality of like i've got to watch i've got to watch who what's the character going to do that's what you want your customers to feel like about your brand and that is very possible like deb gabor talks about irrational loyalty in her book branding a sex like that idea of cult loyalty the reason that you the, the formula for creating that is is creating a brand where your customers share your values and there's like a human connection and I think we want that we we look for that more and more these days with the the input of so much kind of technology and um, uh, that human sort of um, integrity is even more valuable as a commodity Um, and one thing the the one way in which you can do that is really to think about your values and so above all else it's 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 no longer the enough to be the best price or the best best even product you've got to kind of have that foundational work Um, and I can I've got a couple of examples of companies that do that well um, but I don't want to keep on (laughs) giving you very very long answers (laughs)
2: No, no, that's okay. And actually that was going to come on to the next question that I had, which really is about these values and these issues um, that companies care about. Obviously, you see within food and drink the importance of uh, sustainable manufacturing techniques, but also that consumers care about, uh, you know, they consume food in a way that is thinking not just about taste, but also about where does this food come from? What's its impact going to be? and because this is widespread across the industry, how does a company stick out and say, we're not just going with the flow? We're not just doing this because, you know, we're thinking about our bottom line. How do we do this in a way that seems really like deep seated and something that they genuinely care about? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you get that sense of authenticity across?
5: Yeah, I think the answer to that is really simple is. Fi- find out what you care about, like, don't don't pick out something that you feel like it, you should care about, and talk about that. It's gonna feel authentic if you if it is authentic. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that I've worked with companies on on uh, brand strategy who are like we we sell a functional product. Like there isn't a bigger mission here, or like you know I've done this like packaging. And we're talking about packaging. Like people often think about that as like oh no, but it's just packaging. It this works for any company, no matter what you're selling, no matter what product it is. Um, that's a you know that that you can do that that deeper work and you know one another thing I would say is a way to stand out is like be really unapologetic about it if that fits with your kind of vibe so Tony Strockoloni do this really funny way of doing it where so their bigger mission is kind of um, highlighting issues in the cocoa supply chain and um, sort of the 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 the, the injustice in that, in that sort of industry, and so with their packaging, they intentionally divided the chocolate squares unequally to symbolise the inequality within the cocoa supply chain. And it's almost funny because it's like it's so like unapologetic, like we this is what we are, our mission is, and we're gonna have put it like in your face. And I think that's really cool. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be. Um, something as as uh, upfront as that, like Deliciousiela is a great example of a company who's got a really strong mission um, and on their packaging they just put kind of a jar of all natural deliciousness and it's a cute little phrase and it's very much in line with their sort of, um, that they use this word a lot, deliciousness, natural, um, and it's just a simple little line but they put it across everything and it's really consistent. Um, and another thing I talk about is, is this idea of being consistent, like you might have a messaging framework, but are you making sure that it's really consistent across all the touch points? And often people will forget about the product packaging. They don't think that that's what, a place to put that. But of course, that's a really important place to be marketing a product.
2: Yeah, I was I was going to um, I mention that you think that that consistency, not just in what you're saying, but also where you're saying it. So on the product itself uh in the kind of like in-store advertising on your online marketing on your maybe your billboards and just having that consistency uh across everything you think that's a, a really important thing to do
5: it's so important it's so important because the thing is people can sniff out like uh in we're talking about authenticity they can sniff out and when, when you're not being authentic and, and that's if you're putting something in one place so if somebody's getting an email from you and they you know really getting traction they like opening your emails and they're like oh i want to hear what so and so's got to say this week and then they speak to you in a different part of your business whatever that might be whatever touch point that might be and it's a really different type of um character brand voice whatever you want to call it um you're going to lose their trust because they're like i've just invested in this in somebody who I feel like I'm connecting with and then we're getting a different kind of messaging at at a different touch point so you really need to make sure that every part of your business is is on the same page and a way that I do this with my clients is doing I through a creating a brand book for them and it's it's literally just that it's a it's it's a book that outlines your brand and we you know a lot of companies say oh yeah we have this it's a it's you know anyone can create like a PowerPoint with their colors and a line about their tone of voice but really this is a document that encompasses everything that you stand for who you are and you've done all that kind of deeper work that I've talked about earlier and you put that in this document and it's something that everyone can um, can refer to because a lot of the time especially with large companies you see the social media team, you see the marketing team, you see the product um, creators, you see the PR team, the podcasters. There are so many different legs to the company that it's impossible for everyone to be speaking in the same way unless you've had a conversation where you're like, "This is what our messaging is, this is what we stand for," and every single time we hire someone, it's part of the indu- induction.
2: That's a that's a really interesting interesting point for for you know companies of all sizes. I think um, another point I was going to kind of uh, uh, pressure on was thinking mm. about being mindful of uh, regulations so obviously with packaging you, there are lots of uh, things you need to be mindful of with all products how, how do you kind of uh, communicate that with your with your copy
5: yeah yeah I think it's 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 a really good question because packaging is definitely somewhere where you need to have like the t's and c's and like stuff that you can't not put in there legally and, and regulatory um, what I would say is there's two components that I talk a lot about one is what I've just been saying about humanizing your brand and the other is building trust and I guess that's a great place to like show up genuinely don't fluff the numbers don't say it's not got this in it when it has this in it and as soon as you break your trust with your audience that's it and I say this because I think nowadays with everything being online um and you know like you can't function a a company can't function without having some kind of online presence people are very customers are more savvy than ever and so you've really got to be honest like that is really really just a fundamental thing and i think especially with um the introduction of ai i think that as i said integrity is going to start becoming more of a valuable commodity and this is something that alex to Tony talks about at the copy posse and this is not my theory this is hers but she talks about this idea that if you're using ai um in your company um to to generate content in any way um people at some point are going to start demanding that brands put a disclaimer that they're using that and so with this introduction of of, of, you know these tools being used left right and center obviously it's a fantastic thing in lots of ways but i think the byproduct the consequences of these things are that people are going to value trust integrity and um human humanness above all else or or more, more than before
2: that's a really interesting uh, insight uh, especially mm-hmm. about um, AI which I think a lot of our, our listeners are keen to learn more about um, in many respects. I yeah. uh, just have one last question uh, for you Rose. If you had to kind of boil down one kind of top tip for a marketing manager who might be listening within uh, food and beverage industry and they're trying to make their business stand out, what would that kind of final tip be if you could kind of boil it down?
5: Mm. Tricky. that's a
2: challenging question,
5: (laughs) sorry. No, I mean, I guess I'll, I've got a few things that I could say here, but I'll talk about one that I haven't really talked about, which is you, you said at the beginning about, um, I might, I use this term on my website, color outside the lines. And I think that, that, that really encompasses like my ethos about my company and just how I think people could benefit from working, which is making time for the ideation, the creativity, the like juices to flow a little bit. Um, And so, you know, with marketing managers, I think it's really difficult because you have got so many deadlines and so strapped for time and got so many places that you need to produce content and like people to answer to. And there's only, you know, so many hours in a day and there isn't any space often to, think like w- what's left and right we're just so like linear and but if you look up or you look down and you allow that space to kind of go oh what what else could we be doing
2: thank you uh Rose. that's a, a another great answer and uh, some really fascinating insight from you about how companies can uh market themselves and and really stand out from the crowd uh thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast uh, really appreciate it thanks very much Rose.
5: thank you
0: Some really great insights from Rose there. I like what she was saying about a rooted tone, she described as kind of the idea of um, creating a character and, and how she was sort of looking at brands a bit with her theatre roots. Um, if, if anyone knows me well, they know I like treading the boards. So she's uh, definitely uh, speaking to the right audience there. Um, you know, do you have any brands that you guys think are doing this really well? I mean, for me, Innocent is such a good example of creating a tone of voice particularly on social media but w- what do you guys think is there anyone using those kind of tools that Rose spoke about?
2: So I mean I follow Rose uh, on her social media and she often does posts about this and Innocent was one that even before I saw her post that definitely would have come to mind um, however I did think that her point about Tony Chocoloni was really interesting how they're almost actually adding their own voice to their product itself and the physical product is kind of in keeping with the brand that they've created for themselves with the different sized chocolate pieces. So I think that's really going even a step further than something like Innocent where it's on the packaging to actually the product itself when you're holding it is is part of that voice and that message.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tony Chocolonely is such a great brand. Do you know it's it's called that because the guy that started it, or one of the guys that started it, I think he was a journalist, he's called Tony and he was on this journey, basically, to try and end. Um, well, you know, try and make a dent in um, modern slavery, and it was quite a um, a lonely journey. So they kind of merged the names. so Tony chocker Lonely. <laughs> so yeah, chocolate and lonely. There you go. I thought before we conclude this episode, we should give a bit of a taster for the next episode because Gwen, it's 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 a you episode. I mean, Will and I make an appearance, but um, you've, you've done a, a couple of interviews. Do you want to give a little bit of a taster of what we can expect?
1: Yes. In the next episode of uh, the Food Manufacture Podcast, uh, we'll be looking at plant-based uh, amidst uh, a well, – to say a C is uh, a little over dramatic, but we've seen and we've commented on a number of uh, companies going into administration, being bought out of administration, thankfully, uh, in the plant-based space – And sort of asking the question, is there still room for growth for the plant-based food industry? Um, So, yeah, I've made a couple of uh, interviews, including um, with uh, a high-profile player within uh, the plant-based food manufacturing scene, uh, as well as some experts uh, who focus on the uh, world of uh, precision fermentation to ask that question. Is plant-based dead? Is there still a place to grow? And if there is place to grow, uh, what's the next step?
0: There you go. I th- I think I think you should up the drama. It's a trailer. <laughs> I think it, if anything be melodramatic. We really hope you enjoyed this latest episode, and you've gleaned some some good ideas for creating a strong brand, and, and got to know the, the guys a bit more. Um, i remain elusive as always um but yeah we we hope you've enjoyed the episode and until next time it's goodbye from me
2: and it's goodbye from her see you later